Welcome to the Front Porch Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. And I'm Margaret Michael. Thanks for tuning in today. And today we have the privilege of being joined by Sue Mills via the phone. Miss Sue, how are you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. It's good to have you, and I want to mention that uh, Sue Mills happens to be the mother of our lead pastor here at Church of the Nazarene in Harrisonburg, uh, Pastor Adrian Mills. So uh, we're uh, glad to have her on today, and uh, we're recording this ahead of time, but I told her that this broadcast would be playing on Pastor Adrian's birthday, so I love how that works out. Uh, happy birthday, Adrian. Yep, happy birthday. That's Pastor right. Happy Adrian. birthday. Uh, Miss Sue, if you don't mind, just start out telling us about uh, where you're from and about how you grew up. Well, I'm a Tar Heel, which means I was born in North Carolina. Um, my dad um, was a pastor, and so we moved around a bit. But he was not a Christian, but it started attending a church and became a Christian and then felt like God was leading him into full-time service and went to Bible college and So I grew up as a pastor's kid, started out there in North Carolina, then moved to, he pastored some churches here in Virginia, and um, had a really good family life. I mean, God was good to us. We were kind of poor. Um, When you're pastoring small churches back in those years, you know, there wasn't a lot of salary, but God always provided. People in the church were so gracious to help us out with groceries and different things, and it was a great childhood. God is faithful. And then moving here to Virginia, we were acquainted with, you know, other churches on the district and dad pastored two or three churches here on this district. But anyway, then I wound up marrying my husband who his father was a pastor. So we both were PKs and very familiar with the parsonage life and how we grew up. And, you know, we are very familiar with church. I'll have to say there were times that You know, I look back now and think of some things that my mom and dad uh, had to do, but it was because the church asked them to. And I remember over and over being told I was the oldest, I was the firstborn, that I had to set an example for the church kids, Mm. (laughs) for other kids in the church. And I was not allowed to wear some of the stuff that kids at school wore. And sometimes I was made fun of. Oh, there's the preacher's kid. She thinks she's too good for us. Well, you know, my desire was to be totally be a part of them. I wanted to be a part of what they were doing, but I felt like I was kind of set aside. And again, that was no reflection on my mom and dad. They were doing what they thought was right, you know, having us to set an example for other kids. And, you know, so it was at times difficult or sad in some ways, the things that I was not able to participate in in school, either because we couldn't afford it or because we felt like it wasn't appropriate for the Parsonage family. But, you know, again, God was good. God was faithful. You know, so here we are now. My husband is pastoring a church. He was on staff for quite a few years, but he is now pastoring a church. And um, we just feel like this is what God has called us to do. Thanks for sharing um, mm-hmm. that. I, I didn't grow up in a pastor's home, but I grew up with a lot of rules. And there was a setting apart, that physical appearance, the setting apart. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And um, as I've grown older, I understand maybe a little deeper the importance of setting apart our heart. Um, yes. There's a little difference there. But the intent was not against anyone 
Um, it was right. folks trying to find their way and do exactly. what they thought was was right. And exactly, um, mm-hmm. it makes me wonder some days what are things that I'm doing that one day people will say, "Yeah, well, glad we're not there anymore." <laughs> you know, yeah, like, that's we're, true. We're always learning and. Um, yeah. But that was your experience, and I thank you for sharing that with us because um, there's a lot of people that can identify mm-hmm. with that. Um, mm-hmm. So as you look back over your years, you know, I'm so glad to hear you say, hey, there was good and there was bad, because that's just the yeah. reality of this world right. we live in, and the church isn't perfect. Um, no. God will continue to work on his children until he takes them home. So you went to church. Um, mm-hmm. You learned a lot. You know, yes. you learned the stories that, you know, became a part of the fabric of who you are. Um, right. When did God really become real to you when it wasn't anymore? Um, I'm doing this because my parents want me to. Um, right. What does that journey look like? Well, I had to come to a point and realize that I was not going to make it to heaven because of my parents because of their lifestyle. I had to accept it for my own. And I think it really became more clear. Now, I'll have to say that there were times that I resented being in the church because of what I've just stated, being, you know, sheltered and being left out of some things that I wanted to be a part of, but it wasn't appropriate at that time. But, you know, and there were times that I felt like everybody seemed to think that we were perfect and we were not. We were just like them. They tried to set us up on this pedestal and, you know. But anyway, I think it was really when we moved to Virginia, I was 12, I believe. But um, it was at a Virginia camp, a youth camp, that I came to realize, you know, I need my own relationship with God. And I remember going to an altar of prayer and just saying, God, you know, my parents have raised me. I know the scripture. I know the Bible stories, but I need to know you more. And I think that's when it became more real to me that he was personal. It wasn't just somebody that I knew of, but he became a person that I knew inside. And that's when my relationship really started and growing in Christ. Sue, you mentioned uh, being at a youth camp in Virginia and uh, probably the same camp I remember going to as a kid and uh, as a teenager. And uh, you mentioned you couldn't rely on your parents' um, faith. That you wanted it to be your own, and that's when your relationship with Christ really um, began to change. Uh, do you want to share some of the changes in your relationship at that point after coming to the altar that night at the youth uh, service there on the Virginia camp? Sure. Well, I think, I, of course, I changed my prayer life, um, my Bible reading. It became more real to me because I'm reading now. It's not just a story, but this is real. This is what really happened. And this is the Christ that I, I now have this relationship with. And just as he performed those many things in the day of when the Bible was written, he can still do those things for me. You know, my faith in him grew, my relationship, my trust in him grew. I trusted him more with things that I was going through. I turned to him more uh, in prayer, you know, and depended on him, you know, whether it was good or bad, maybe, you know, he didn't always answer the prayers the way I wanted him to, but it always was what I needed. And it was just manifested so real that, you know, I knew that this was God and this was the way he was directing me. And um, I can remember praying, you know, God, what do you want me to do with my life? I'm just remembering there, you know, that there were times that I searched for what God wanted me to do with my life. You know, where God, where do you want me to 
to lead? What do you want me to become? I kind of had decided, and you don't ever tell Jesus what you don't want to do, but I kind of had decided that I did not want to be a part of a pastor's life anymore. I wanted to get out of the parsonage. I wanted to just be a regular person at church. And I can remember saying to God, God, I don't think I want to ever marry a pastor. Well, guess what I did? I married a staff person, but he was still part of the pastorate. And but still, I said, you know, and I can remember um, my chemistry teacher in high school. She was talking to me and she said, you know, you really excel in chemistry and those kinds of things. And you really seem interested in it. Have you ever thought into going into nursing? So I did enroll in nursing school here in Richmond, Virginia, where I live now. It was at VCU. And um, I took a year of that because I really felt this need to help people. That was what I felt like I was called to do. I wanted to help people. And if I could help them, you know, medically, that was great, you know, and help them spiritually or whatever. But that's where I felt God's call. But after a year or so, I felt like, okay, I've got this under my belt, but I don't really think that that's where. But then marrying Rob and becoming part of the church staff, I was introduced to so many different avenues of ways of helping people. And, um, helping people in the church and out of the church. And so that was kind of where God was in the guiding of my life and what I was to become. So that was kind of the way you chose to go is to be within the body of Christ. And God, obviously, his timing is perfect. And, right. Um, so you engaged that. Right. What did that journey look like? Well, once I, well, even before that, before I, I just felt like, you know, again, searching for the way to need. So I got started in preschool, being a preschool teacher. And I knew I was helping the kids and I loved on the kids, but I felt a calling to the parents as well. Mm. And so I really reached out, you know, to pull them in, not necessarily to pull them in the church. I mean, if they came, that was awesome. But pulling them in. Uh, reinforcing the spiritual things that we were teaching their children that they could also apply to them as well as adults and caring about them, showing that, you know, I really was serious about caring and loving on their kids and just showing them what God could look like with skin on. Mm -hmm. Um, That was, that was kind of my focus. I wanted to be, and even now I want to be God with skin on because I realized in this world we may be the only Jesus that they see because they're, well, all of a lot of people are struggling going back to church right now. But even before the pandemic, you know, people just don't go to church um, and we might be the only Jesus that they see. So I'm always aware of that and always trying to look through what does Jesus see, you know, through his eye and see the needs of people around me instead of overlooking them. Yeah, that's powerful. You know, when we when we go on a journey like that, a Jesus-led journey, mm-hmm. um, we really infuriate the enemy. Oh, absolutely. And so I don't know if you want to share, did you find hardship in that? Did the enemy try to take you out? He did. He did. And yes, I will share with that. I will start with when I was a child back in North Carolina, I was three or four. My mom had to work again because the church, we weren't, you know, financially uh, rich at all. Mm. So my mom had to go to work. 
it was my sister and myself, and she was a couple years younger than me. But we would have to go with my dad. He was the pastor of the church to do hospital calls or to visit in the homes or primarily when he would go to church and do his studying uh, or calling or, you know, that kind of thing. And it was while we were there that um, I was physically abused by a church member who was the janitor. Mm-hmm. And I hid this because he threatened that if I told anyone, he would also do this to my sister, who was very young. And so I kept this hidden from my parents, um, never told them anything, uh, just kept it hidden away. Um, I think it did affect me as a child. I remember going to school and not trusting anyone because this gentleman was a part of the church. Everyone seemed to love him highly of him and so I thought it was me I thought okay well I must be the one that is messed up you know they all think he's wonderful and I don't like him at all so I did not trust people because they would come on as one thing but I didn't trust them are they really that way Mm. so then jump uh, several years later uh, this next incident happened it'll almost be 30 years ago now I was at a rehearsal at church uh, working on a Christmas musical. I had twin girls at home plus my boys, Adrian and his brother. And it was late at night, but I knew in my mind I needed to stop and get bread and milk for breakfast and for school lunches the next day. And I kept saying, I know it's too late. I shouldn't stop, but it's going to be a problem in the morning if we don't have. So I made a decision to stop. I tried to do everything I knew to do the right things to lock my doors, park under a parking light in the parking lot, you know, go in, get my items. Well, a long story short, when I came back out, I was sexually assaulted by two men Mm. um, who said that if I did not do what they asked, that they would kill me. That was a moment-changing thing in my life. And I will explain it because I really thought I was going to die. But I know God was there protecting me because I didn't die. Mm -hmm. And I made it back home. And then the next few days came the truth to my husband and what had happened. And I wound up in five years of therapy dealing with anxiety, with horrible nightmares, trying to live through what had happened and make sense of it. And that's when the thing that happened when I was three and four came to fruition because Mm -hmm. I had buried it all that time, had not even thought about it, but it came to life. And so during those five years, it was a period of a lot of different medications, some shock treatment, just self-inflicted wounds, trying to commit suicide several times, winding up and Tucker's, which is a mental part of one of our hospitals, just not happy with God. You know, at times I would be angry. Why did you let this happen to me? You know, what I was trying to do right things, you know, and at times I blamed myself because I stopped late at night. But then I've learned that that was not my fault. Uh, Anyone who is abused has to remember it is not your fault. You cannot take ownership of that. So 
that's kind of what happened. But God miraculously brought me out of it. But it took a process. It was a journey. These things, trauma, when it happens to you, it does not go away. The trauma is still there, but I totally understand it. I say it for what it is, and it does not, you know, in other words, you get through it, but you don't ever get over it. And God helped me get through it. And so now, well, even then, after I felt healed enough to resume a job, God gave me a job of all things as a hospice nurse. And I remember calling my therapist. I was in Roanoke at the time um, where my husband was on staff there. I was calling my therapist one day and I said, you're not going to believe this. And she said, it's so good to hear from you. What's happening? And I said, God has given me a job to take care of people or minister to people who have emptied their bank account to live. Mm -hmm. And just a year or two ago, I was trying everything in my power to die. I did not want to live on this earth. I wanted to leave this world and not feel all the things that was going on inside of me. And I said, that's how amazing God is. I said, I would love to take someone who is so depressed. I would like to take them with me one day as I visit my clients and let them see how these people would love to live you know, and the depression in your life causes you to want to escape from that. But that's how good God is. And now I am part of our Celebrate Recovery group, and I get to help women who are abused, and I get to speak to those who are suffering from depression. And right now with the pandemic, a lot of people are in depression. And so I feel like God Would I want to go through it again? No, but I think it helped me to become who I am today. He enlightened me. My eyes are open more to the needs around me. And that's my great God. I just am thankful. So thankful. Yeah. And, you know, it was really hard for you, I'm sure, to open your mouth the first time and say that this happened um, to go to your husband. Yeah, it took two or three days. You know, I came home that night and he said, you're kind of late coming in. And I said, yeah, it was a late rehearsal, which it kind of was. But, you know, and I just kind of hid from him for two or three days what was really happening. But he knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I finally just had to admit it because he knew I wasn't sleeping. You know, I was just withdrawing and he knew something was wrong. And he kept questioning me and kept saying, tell me what's going on Mm -hmm. until I finally And then he said, then we need to call somebody and you need to talk to somebody right away, Mm -hmm. which was good, which was very good. Yeah. And he supported you in that. And sometimes we might not think we'll get that um, Mm -hmm. if we share. Yeah, that's true. Right. Um, Yes. What what would you say to someone listening today that this is their story? This has happened Mm -hmm. and they're living with it. Um, They've been told hey, this is not something that you can tell anyone. Um, What would you say to that person? I would say I I have encountered that, you know, in my Celebrate Recovery group, you know, women who say to me, my mom told me I had to be quiet. That was a family secret. We were not to speak of it. And I would say, you know, number one, you should not bear shame for it. And number two, you need to talk to someone because that is a trauma in your life. And you need to tell someone someone you trust, this is what happened to me. And this is what I'm struggling with now. And perhaps it needs to be a professional person. It might be a best friend. 
but you need to tell someone because it can eat you up inside. You know, it's just something that's always right in front of you and it will manifest itself to you into anxiety and depression and things you don't even realize are happening in your life because you have buried this and you're not wanting to deal with it. Yeah. So, uh, That's great advice. And also, as you were talking, one of the things that stuck out to me was how the Lord helped you get through it. You'll never get over it, but he helped you get through it. And you shared about you shared about being a hospice nurse. And, uh, you know, you said a few years earlier you were wanting your life to end. But these people were emptying their savings to try to live. And so just share about how maybe he used that or other things to help bring healing like you said, to help you get through it, even though you'll never get over it. Right. Yes, he absolutely did. I mean, you know, it was a period of healing. And I will have to say one other thing. I am a music person. I love, absolutely love music. God gave me a gift. I have to give him the credit. It's not my credit. God gave me a gift of music. I play keyboard and singing I took lessons when I was maybe in the third grade for like six months. That's all the lessons I've ever had. But God helped me. I would sit down at the keyboard and he gave me that gift. And so during my time of therapy, it was very frustrating to me. I would sit down at the keyboard and nothing made sense. I would look at music, could not make the connection to the keyboard. It was so frustrating. Finally, my therapist said, You need to stop. It's just too frustrating. That may come back or it may never come back. And you just need to be able to accept that. Well, I will say during the healing process, God brought it back. Mm. And I'm so thankful. And I have made a pact with him. I said, God, you gave me this gift and I will never, ever take it for granted again. I think because he gave me the gift, I did take it for granted. I didn't have to work at it like some people have to work at playing keyboard and doing this thing. It just came naturally, and I did take it for granted. And I said to him that day, I said, God, I will never take it for granted again. My music, I will give it everything I've got, and it will always be to your glory. So that's one way um, I feel like God helped me through this journey. And just, again, I will go back to the point of, when I was angry with God and I said, God, where were you? You could have stopped this from happening to me, but I had to realize God was there all the time. He protected me from them killing me, first of all, and I made it back home. He was not done with me. He had things ready for me to do with my life to lead a CR group of women who are dealing with some of the same things that I've had to deal with. I can't tell you how often and how many times God has led me to a person and I've been able to witness to them about what God has done in my life and how it's been encouraging to them and uplifting and help them get through their journey. It's just how our God works. He's so amazing. Yeah, God doesn't waste a hurt. Um, No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And what the enemy meant for evil, God can uh, use that. Uh, for the yes, good he does. Of those he sure him. does. And I'm, I'm a living testimony of that if there ever was one. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was vulnerable and transparent. And okay. um, sometimes it's, you know, takes you out of your comfort zone, but it's for the glory of God. It's 
That's you're right. doing this because you desire to help other people absolutely find freedom from the chains that bound you and that bind them. And right. you don't shy away from that, but you lean in with that brokenness. And it makes sense, not totally, but it makes, you know, you know that you have a gift out of that um, right. to be right. a minister of reconciliation to the family of God and to the lost. Um, anyone yeah. who's walked that road needs someone um, right. that can say, you know, it's not your fault. I've been there. Right. Those words carry weight. And yes, so they do. Um, they do. It is holy ground when you find Absolutely. yourself in the place and the presence of someone who maybe isn't as far down the road of healing as you are. So thank you for right. giving sure. that, surrendering that hurt to God so that he could make something beautiful out of it. Right. And t- let me tell you, I was ready to surrender. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I finally, so I'll just say this last thing. I'll find the way I finally came out of it. I kept thinking of myself as a victim. Mm. I'm a victim. And God showed me, no, you have overcome. You are an overcomer. You are not a victim. That was when I was able to say, okay, God, I forgive the perpetrators. I forgive all of it. I'm ready to do what you want me to do and what you want me to be. That was when I felt freedom. I felt like this big, heavy load was lifted off of me. And no longer did I feel like I had this big V on my head saying I'm a victim. No, I am not a victim. I'm an overcomer. Amen. You know, um, you spoke of Celebrate Recovery, and um, I, too, um, have found great healing through Celebrate Recovery. And um, there are things that sometimes we carry hurts and hang-ups and have habits that we have no idea why we have them. And Celebrate Recovery has been so good for me to be able to see God's shown me the inner workings of some of my own brokenness and has helped Mm -hmm. lead me on a road to recovery, which I will be on the rest of my life. Um, Yes, me too. But it is not for just the addict. This is for anyone who's had a hurt. For everyone. Yeah, everyone has a struggle. You know, we sometimes we don't like to admit it, but everyone has a struggle of some kind. And Celebrate Recovery is a place that everyone can come and find hope and find out that, you know, and like you say, sometimes it goes back to our childhood, maybe the way our parents dealt and coped with things. Then we learn that coping mechanism mm-hmm. and that's the way we cope. And then we find out as an adult, well, that didn't really work for them and it's not going to work for me. And we just need to change those generational things and not do them anymore. Yeah. Like how many times you will go around that mountain? <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, yes. Uh, that's powerful. Well, and I would say to anyone listening today, wherever you live, look for a Celebrate Recovery if this is touching your heart, because their Celebrate Recovery is an international program, and there are Celebrate Recovery groups all over the U.S. and the world, and uh, certainly we have that here at the Church of the Nazarene here in Harrisonburg, and everyone is welcome. Um, this is a place for healing, and it's not just for people that attend the Nazarene Church. This is for the community. And Absolutely. so that is the case anywhere you would go to a Celebrate Recovery, that it's yeah. it reaches beyond the walls of the denomination that it's in and becomes a place of community. So um, yeah. just want to 
put that out there and we can put some information in the show notes today and uh, make that available. So thank you um, so much uh, for just sharing your heart today. And we certainly love that uh, you found this healing because out of that journey, we have a lead pastor um, that's here, you know, um, and and your son is so encouraged by your testimony, like your testimony encourages him so much. And so it is just a great joy today. to be able to share that with those listening. He saw me at my worst. He really did. So he knows that he sees the new me, you know, the changed me. Um, So, yeah, a real testament. The joy in your voice is contagious. Mm. Like it gives me encouragement just to listen today to you and to hear the excitement in your voice for life. And, Mm. um, you know, there were some things that happened along your journey as within every journey of the human being. We all have that brokenness, as you said. Right. Um, And I have a feeling, I just have to ask you, are you okay with being a pastor's wife these days? I sure am. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, sure am. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. You know, it's, of course, these days, again, with the pandemic, you miss the ones who are who you don't see personally, but I, I still am reaching out, mm-hmm. you know, either a phone call or a text. How are you doing? You know, trying to stay connected. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's great. I love it. Well, thank you for answering the call to be a pastor's wife and to be a woman of God and to just take the pain that was inflicted upon you and use it. Beauty from ashes is the story yes, that you've absolutely. told. absolutely. It is. Yes. Thank you for letting me share as we say it, celebrate recovery. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sue, thank you for joining us. And that was a great testament. Uh, As you said earlier, the Lord doesn't always uh, answer our prayer in the way we want to, but he answers it in the way we need it. So he knew that you needed to be a pastor's wife, even though Uh initially you might not have wanted that but i think right right thank you for joining us today it's been yes my privilege thank you so much i appreciate you keep pursuing me because i know i kept putting you off (laughs) (laughs) thank you for uh listening to today's broadcast of front porch talks we pray that as you've heard sue mills testimony that it's been a half hour of hope for your life may god bless front porch talks is sponsored by church of the nazarene harrisonburg in partnership with sunshine ministries Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Front Porch Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisonburg, Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.